Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Really do appreciate you being here. If you haven't already, uh, I'm sure you've heard by now, but our new book, The Successful Speaker, is out. Dun, da, da, dun, da, da, da. I'm sure we could insert some type of music there, but it's more fun if it comes from me, right? If you haven't checked out the book, we would love for you to check it out. It's five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, building your platform. Again, the book is called The Successful Speaker. Everything you need to know about finding and booking speaking gigs is in that book. So I think, I think you're really going to dig that. All right, so go check it out. You can find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever books are sold. Uh, you should be able to find that book there. All right. Hey, we got a great conversation for you. We've got a great episode. We have uh, my friend Mitch Joel. Mitch has actually been on the show back in episode 144. Mitch has actually one of the craziest stories of how he got started his very first gig. So if you haven't listened to that one, make sure you go back and listen to that one at some point. Again, that's episode 144. So today we have a really wide-ranging conversation. Mitch has been a professional speaker for about 16, 17 years. We talk about the things that he's learned, what keeps him relevant and excited about it, the importance and value of building relationships with other speakers, how he kind of manages the mental side of being a speaker, the highs and the lows, the emotional roller coaster of it all. And then finally, we talk about a, a story that he shared recently in a, a private group with uh, some other speakers about being at a concert and two different sides of perspectives from that concert and how this applies to speakers. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Lots to learn here from Mitch. Uh, he's an industry veteran, industry pro, and an all-around great guy. So uh, let's jump into this conversation with Mitch Joel. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, joined by my buddy Mitch Joel, who joined us uh, back on episode 144. It's been a minute. He's back for round two. Mitch, how are you today? Round two. I'm uh, I'm sweating. I'm, I'm jabbing. I'm waiting for my my cross. You're know. hanging in there. You're making yeah. it. You're going to be all right. Ropey doping. Hey, yeah. <laughs> how long have you been a professional speaker? I'm going to say since 2003 or 2004. Okay, so we're looking at. 16, 17 years, give or take, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, when you say it, it sounds like a lot more than it is, but yeah, I guess so. So, all right, in that vein, what keeps this interesting for you? Because it, this is, it's very easy to get up on stage in front of an audience and to do your talk and to tell the story, the stories that you've told, you know, perhaps hundreds or thousands of times that you know work and you can be on autopilot and do a great job and yet be bored out of your mind. So what keeps this interesting for you? It's two sides. You know, the one side is the fact that I don't do that, that I'm constantly looking for new content and stories and the edge or something different. My platform is this idea of I help leaders decode the future. And so it's not really valuable if I'm showing them stuff from nine years ago. I mean, granted, some of this stuff is still important and I keep it, but I do change 
stuff sometimes as I'm sitting in the audience. You know, a news item will yeah. break the day before and I'll, or, or then and I'll just be like, I'm going to add it in or make a quip about it or create a slide for it. So that's one. It's just the fact that, you know, when you're talking about stuff that's, you know, how do we stay ahead of our competitors? It's a very long and wide runway. It's always interesting because you're constantly looking at the landscape of business. The other side of it that I think is the more honest side is, you know, because of my pedigree and how long I've been doing it and where I'm at, it's just really, really good money for not that much work. It does come to a point where you have a platform and I have representation. And I'm sure if I worked more and marketed more, it would be even bigger and better and my brand would be bigger and better. But it's really comfortable. I'm in a place where, you know, it really does allow me after having built a business and sold a business and doing this, it's a phenomenal income. Yeah. So how do you find the balance then between, like you mentioned, you're at a spot in your in your career and your speaking career where like business is good, life is good, I'm comfortable. So how do you find the balance between like being comfortable, being content, like looking around like, man, that's like this is really good, but not also becoming complacent? Because like you said, even though you've been in the business for a long time, even though you're a highly paid speaker, that can all go away tomorrow. So what keeps you motivated? What keeps you sharp versus just phoning it in? Well, one is I you're not going to get booked if you do that. So I think it's the constant pressure of performance, entertainment, quality content, storytelling, being a couple of inches ahead of the industry or business that you're serving. There's all of that. And the other thing that really motivates me is the fact that, you know, we're doing this. I happen to be in Montreal. I'm heading out. I got to get Toronto and Omaha and then LA in the coming weeks. So pretty busy, you know, recording this in January. It's a very busy January for me, which is not normal. Mm -hmm. But every day that I'm not speaking, I do sit here and say to myself, huh, I was only in Vegas twice last year. Mm -hmm. How many gigs are happening in Vegas today? Yeah. And what motivates me is the fact that there are hundreds, if not thousands of gigs every day that I'm not getting. Yeah. And that there's just a very big and much larger discernible market that I'm not at. Right. It's just the reality of the world. So what motivates me are those sort of three pockets of it. It's understanding that, you know, you do have to stay sharp. Two, it's, it's the sort of real focus on wanting to be better on stage every time I do it. And then three is the fact that there's a million gigs I don't have and I want. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to, um, with Scott Stratton about this uh, recently. He was in town for an event uh, that we were at and uh, went to a lunch at his choice. Do you know what it would be? Either barbecue or pancake. Or the waffle, pan house. waffle House. Yeah, the Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> waffle <laughs> House. Pancake we went to, House, but it's the Waffle House. Yeah. Waffle House we went to had uh, lunch there. And so one of the things I, I remember asking him, I'd ask you too, you kind of touched on this, is are there any gigs that you haven't done that you feel like, and that's that's a crown jewel that I'd really like to do at some point. I mean, they're not crown jewels. It's just like, it's hard for me to sit here as consumer electronic shows happening and yeah. realize that I've never gone, yeah. never done it in all my years of running an agency and marketing. And it's bizarre that I've never done that. You know, there's the World Economic Forum. I attend TED every year. I don't think I have content that would be TED stage worthy. TEDx I've done, but TED main stage. So that's something I'd want to do. I, you, know, you think about it and then go, it's not really where my headspace is at. There's just countless events. I mean, at, name any major brand that has a major event with their largest consumers. And the answer is, why haven't I done that? So yeah. what happens is when you do this for many, many years, you just really see. You know, I did an event for Cisco 
for their user summit, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And I wasn't even main stage and it was still a massive gig, thousands of people in that, in that sort of concurrent happening. And you just realize that there's just how many in the fortune 500 are doing events like this. You've just never even heard of. They're just private events. Yeah. Does that keep it interesting for you in terms of just new challenges and new mountains to climb? Yeah, I don't know if the challenges or mountains to climb come from the gigs that I get. I think it comes more from the work I'm doing behind the scenes in terms of the figuring out what's new, what's different, what needs to change, what within this keynote can be blown out into its own hour keynote, uh, what are the trends that I'm very unaware of that I need to get smarter at. And so a lot of that work now that I don't run a large agency and have that sort of interaction every day with clients is on the advisory and investment side. So I do a lot of advising to startups and, and mid-sized organizations and charitable groups and investing because that is my way of capturing knowledge much in the way I gained it for almost 20 years when I was running you know, this agency. Yeah. So being a full-time professional speaker for 16 to 17 years at this point, there are plenty of amazing speakers out there that haven't lasted that long. So what do you think has kept you relevant and in the business for that long? Well, the truth is it's only been a year that I've been doing it, what I would call sort of full-time. I mean, I had what would be considered by any professional speaker a full-time speaking career for 16 years. I was doing 40 to 60 events during that time, but at the same time, I built the startup and sold the startup that became a 3,000 person, 30 country entity that was my full-time job. Yeah. So, you know, it's a weird place because I'm, yeah, I was doing full-time speaking and a crazy full-time job, but they were sort of intertwined since, you know, I'll call it, you know, July of last year or even beginning of January of last year, I only because of my new situation being on my own, I'm like, well, let me just do this full-time. Have the numbers increased? I would say the numbers haven't increased. It was my best financial year only because when you're running an agency, you're doing a lot of freebies, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff for the associations, a lot of stuff for clients who ask you for a favor. So it was interesting to have what I would call fewer numbered gigs, but all of them were paid gigs. So that was a different, world. And I think the challenge now is really less around performance and storytelling and more around brand building. Mm -hmm. I think the bigger gigs are going to come my way, the bigger the brand I have, whether that's a blockbuster book or an idea or concept that gets picked up on, or just, you know, speaking, get speaking and, right. and doing more and more, having people go, you need him, you need him, you need him. We'll see how it goes. I, I, I don't know yet. Every Since year I'm always surprised. <laughs> Where do you find that, that that to be the case? Because again, I, I know that for myself, you feel like even if you have a monster year, you feel like, well, that was it. You know, That's we it. peaked and it's all downhill from there. Do you still feel like that? Or do you feel like that that has subsided or where, no, where's I your mental I, space at going into a new year? Yeah. Whenever I hear people talk about data analytics and analyzations and what they're doing and their numbers, I always laugh. I believe that this is a business where you bankrupt it at the end of every year and you start fresh at the beginning of the next year. Mm -hmm. I've been tracking every gig, where it's come from, which bureau, which region, all that stuff. And the one thing I can tell you that's completely consistent is there is no consistency. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't understand how I went into this year with this many gigs in January. In 16 years, I've never been this busy in January. Yeah. If anything, it is one of those businesses where that feeling that you talked about earlier, Grant, is the only feeling in this business. There is no guarantee next year because you did something good last year because every year it is usually for the most part 
very new clients. Yes, a client might switch to another business and invite you back. You may have done great and they give you a run next year. But I do believe that the speakers that have that are very, very fortuitous. You know, you do something in a real estate thing and next thing you're doing a 20-date you know, run with them. I haven't had many of those. It's not really what I do. So I do feel like every year I basically bankrupted the business and I'm starting fresh new year. How do you mentally and emotionally manage that and balance that though, knowing that, okay, this year, year 17 in January was really, really busy. And yet I don't really know why. And I don't necessarily know what happened to get there. Or, you know, uh, let's say April, which historically may be a really, really busy month is just slow this year. And again, I can't really point to anything why or why not. How do you mentally manage that emotional roller coaster? It's really easy. I have a lot of friends who are speakers who have the same complaints. And then I realize it's not me. It's yeah. the nature of the business. I mean, I had a bizarre one this week. And we're talking, it's Tuesday. I got a call for an event on Monday for an event this Friday. Really? I booked. Booked it last night. Going on a plane on Friday. I mean, <laughs> You know, what happened? It's somebody who is running a business who had this event, has been planning it for months and sort of looked at the agenda over the holidays and thought maybe we should have an external speaker, didn't want to reach out because it was the holidays yeah. and then sort of woke up, uh, you know, day one that we were back and sent the note saying, you know, if you're available, uh, okay, yeah, I'm happy to, I mean, we love those as speakers. You love them when the dates open and it sort of pops in, but at the same time, it's an illuminating you know, these are all illuminating stories that show you that everything is an anomaly. So look, can I look back consistently and go, where do I sit financially year on year? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty clear how that works and how playing with your fee structure and working with your agents does well. The only thing that I do beyond the commiseration of other speakers is I really have been thinking, not doing, but thinking a lot more about how do I market more to the bureaus that I work with? Yeah. How do I make myself more valuable to them? How do I make myself more present to them? And I think that that's a long road. I don't think it just happens because you launch a campaign. I think it's a process. So it's, it's something I've been working on much more proactively the past couple of years. Because again, remember when I was at the agency, it was almost haphazard. I would say no to a lot of things. I wasn't in my brain mm -hmm. thinking like one day I'll want a speaking career and you can't say no to anything. I was just yeah. like, can't do that. Want to do this. Don't want to do that. Not an interesting industry to me where I should have probably been, you know, let me take it all. I couldn't because I was running a, a business with my business partners and we were successful at it and I was happy. Yeah. So I think that's the sort of stuff I'm now thinking about as to how to you know, uh, disabuse myself of the anxiety of the reality of what this business is. It kind of reminds me. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording. We were both down in Florida over the holidays and uh, playing golf and got paired up with a, a guy who runs a like a locksmith company up in Boston. And he, we were just kind of talking about business and, and I was asking him, I said, you're, you're basically in a very reactionary business. Like there's no business until someone gets locked out and then you're just sitting and waiting for a call to go respond to. And he said, yeah, that's essentially what we do. And kind of, you know, in some ways it feels like that for speakers that you woke up Monday and you didn't think like, yeah, there's a good chance I'm gonna have a gig Friday. Like 99% of the time you don't have a gig Friday uh, when it's a Monday, but something worked in your favor that it makes it a little bit hard to reverse engineer and, and predict. But that's also, like you said, kind of the, the nature of the beast. But I do think that the marketing component is important. Like you could say totally. that about the locksmith, but the other thing is like how often is he actively in the community helping people understand security or being more safe or now that we're moving out of winter, how do you prep your home or office for that? So I do 
think that as a speaker, there are so many ways we could build the platform, the publishing, the storytelling better, the B2B marketing of it better. That's been a lot of my sort of morning pages and thinking and writing and what what could this look like and what am I willing to put effort against? But I mean, you are, you, it depends on the business you're in. Like my business is 100% on the speaking side driven by two bureaus. So I'm very reactionary to that versus if I was only direct, I'd probably be out you know, really marketing myself. Hey, happy new year to all my clients. And you know, what, what are your gigs and what can I help you with? Are you look, I would do that a lot more if I was more direct. And then even saying that as I'm reflecting, probably no reason why I shouldn't do that. And then just filter it back to the agency once it comes in. So right. there you go. Just tons of opportunities to, to get your story bigger. So one of the things that you had touched on was the value of the relationships you've built with other speakers, not necessarily just from a referral standpoint, you refer each other business. That's very common and a great way to build your business, but also just from a comparing notes, comparing war stories, we're in the trenches together. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about a travel thing you were running into and like outside of this little bubble, those type of stories can sound very, you know, prima donna and and it's a very, you know, first world problem when we're dealing with some of these challenges. It reminds me of a, a buddy used to always say like bags of gold are heavy. Like it's yeah. just, it's heavy, you know? So yeah. like, so how, I'm curious from your perspective, how much of your speaker network beyond from the business perspective, but just again, from the kind of mental sanity standpoint, how much of, or how has the, uh, the relationships that you've built with other speakers impacted your business? Well, it's a, it's a really tough question to answer because, you know, two of my best friends are professional speakers that, you know, we text each other all day and they're also my greatest competitors. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, it's great because you can go, hey, do either of you have a hold for this date that I feel like all of us have a hold on? <laughs> right. And then who got it and why or how did this come in? And then the other person going, what about me? You know, so it's strange in that as much as you're really close friends, you're also really competitors. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the Jeffrey Gittimer negotiation thing, right? Negotiation, like who do you, you know, who do you care more or more about? You were the customer. It's like, oh, the customer is like, no, it's you. Like if there's a gun in the room, like you don't want to be the one being shot. It's them. You know, yeah. you got to survive. Uh, and that's the business. It's, a, it, it's driven by that. I find myself more inclined to be connected to speakers who have done a lot more than I have who have a much higher speaking fee, who have platforms or content that I find to be very unique and experience-based, not opinion-based. Mm -hmm. And I tend to then model my thinking or how I see things around their work. And I don't have to really know them. I mean, a great example of this would be Dan Pink. You know, when I think of Dan Pink and how he markets himself, which is, mm -hmm. I think, primarily as an author speaker, there's a lot to be admirable of in terms of how he does it. Now, most people would look at it and think he's not getting half as many gigs as he should. It's my own sort of feeling of what I would like to be like. Yeah. And that sort of whole, like, what would so-and-so do is very real for me. And I mean, I often do think about things like what would Seth Godin do or what would a Dan Pink do as two benchmarks for career paths that I would say are probably 10 years ahead of mine started yeah. doing it a bit bit earlier or have more success with books or or just have written more have spoken more i use those as as rails too that 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 sort of help my process and and figuring out what i want to do yeah 
How do, whenever you're connecting with, uh, with other speakers, you mentioned there's kind of this dichotomy of there's some of my closest friends, but they're also some of my biggest competitors and the balance of like, I want to be, you know, transparent and authentic and genuine with them, but I also don't necessarily want to reveal all my cards because if they win, you know, it's not necessarily by default I lose because there's plenty of uh, pieces of pie for everybody. Yeah. But how do you kind of balance the, at the end of the day, they are competitors. And if they're getting a bunch of gigs that I'm losing out on, that's ultimately costing me, you know, financially and both today and potentially long-term. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, in particular, I'm thinking of two people, it's Scott Stratton and Ron Tite. They happen to be two of my best friends. And there's no doubt that they are both busier than I am. Just, they just are. And it's a conversation that's, that's predominantly like, oh, I'm speaking in the Bahamas today, but you don't really say back, well, where and for who and how did that come in? And what's your fee? Yeah. Like, that's the sort of stuff that we tend to not, I think we all respectfully understand that it is a business of taste and flavor. It is a business of sometimes the wind is just in your sail and things are really, really hot and exciting. And then sometimes it's just, you're very consistent with this type of group and this type of audience. But beyond that, I think you are right that ultimately we know that there's enough gigs for everybody and that we see in the cycle of a decade plus of friendship where we speak almost daily that there's, it's so weird and strange and how this comes and that goes and this client wouldn't work because of that. And you just sort of look at it and nod and go, it's the way of the world. You know, if you want to have someone more irreverent and funny, Scott's for sure your man. If you want to have yeah. somebody who's more storytelling and empathetic, Ron's your man. If you're thinking more about really like, you know, transformation, innovation, where are we at? They would probably say I'm more likely the individual that should do that. You're never walking on eggshells. I think you're just being respectful of you can have a friend and know they have a wallet. It doesn't mean you have access to what's inside the wallet. Right, right. Do you find yourself whenever you talk with with a Scott or a Ron or any other speaker and you are, you know, kind of comparing stories or you are or you're discussing like, hey, we all have a hold for this gig and one of them got it and I didn't. Do you find your own do you deal with your own doubts and insecurities and, and fears and worries? But yeah, I mean, look, just, just the other day I had this gig come up and I sent them a note like, oh my God, this gig happened, this and that. And, you know, Ron will come in and go, yeah, yeah, I know that person. I introduced you guys three years ago and I was supposed to do that gig, but I'm going somewhere else. And you're like, well, that was a bit deflating, wasn't it? I thought that, but then you realize that, you know, again, the way that I ground myself is I, I consider speakers like coffee, and I say this all the time, speakers are coffee. You go to an event and they need a bunch of things. They need a stage, an AV team, they need seats, they need food, they need lanyards, they need coffee, they need speakers. And more often than not, speakers are less of the budget than food and co or coffee even for sure. And that's the way I ground myself. I look at the sort of business and what it is. It's easy to go, well, I'm on stage and I'm the star. And I just don't think that way because after all these years, I know that I'm coffee. I'm a line item in a bunch of things that are happening in an event. They want to make sure it's on theme. It's going to be efficient. It's going to work well. And the only variant between me and coffee is there's the human factor. Yeah. Is the person going to be a diva? Are they going to be hard to work with? Is there going to be surprises? Are they going to be complaining and tough and this and that? And so within all that, the way that I also help myself, both understanding that I'm coffee and also trying in my brain at least to always think, how can I be the easiest speaker for them to work with. Yeah. What can I do that will just, you know, 
always make it easy. And that's, you know, things from just always saying yes to, I mean, within reason, obviously, to, you know, just being very distant to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Now, text them when I land them here. I'm really happy. I'll see you at AV check. If you need anything else, let me know. And then, unless there's anything, I don't want to be like, oh, can you help me with reservations? Do you want me at your, you know, do you want me at your networking event? Uh, post even following up. You know, now, how did your audience think about me? Could I get? I don't do any of that stuff only because I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want yeah. to be like this is the speaker that just wouldn't shut up. So I I don't want to be that person. And again, maybe it's to my fault. And I'm sure a lot of speakers listening to this will be like, you don't do follow-up. That's what's hurting you from getting recurring gigs. And this and that. maybe, maybe it is. I, I don't know. I but at the same time, like, I think everything you just said is incredibly valuable that the reason that the clients may want to work with a Mitch Joel or someone like that is that not necessarily because of just how great you are on stage, but who you are and how you are to work with off stage. Because if you are a great speaker, but you're a pain in the butt, like you said, not even a prima donna, not even a diva, not even asking for your, you know, your jar of red Skittles, but you're just, you're easy to work with. You stay out of their way. Like you mentioned, a speaker is important, but it's also one of hundreds, if not thousands of of moving pieces that an event planner or an organizer is trying to juggle. So the more self-sufficient, the more easy you are to work with, the, the more likely they're going to want to be to work with you. I've always kind of like half joking, half seriously said, like, if you're amazing off stage to work with, but if you're mediocre on stage, like you can get away with that for a little while because it's like yeah. you just, you made my life easy and you were good enough on stage that it works and you can build a business that way. And I'm very vocal about that when I have the informational call, which usually does happen because they want to talk about content and themes. You know, I, I do tell them, you know, outside of being on stage, my role is to be as low maintenance as possible mm-hmm. for them. And I use that as a unique selling proposition because I know it's just not the case. I mean, it's it's innocuous too. You know, it's everything from, hey, where can I get a coffee to, uh, you know, how is your hotel room? It's okay. Everything is always out of my mouth. It's great. I never ask anybody on the team a question. If I need something, I'd much rather go to the concierge or someone else or text someone than, like, I really try to be as, they're busy as possible. They don't need to be catering to my whims. It's just not the role. Yeah, very much so. All right, I want to shift gears for a second. So we are in a a private Facebook group with some speakers. And a few months ago, you posted a great story that I want to bring up. I haven't prepped you for this at all. Uh, You you have no idea where I'm going with this. You were at a rock concert, you said. And from the audience, you thought it was a great show. You were friends with the musicians. You go backstage afterwards, and they were all kind of, meh, it was so-so. And so one of the things that you, you wrote is the lesson, this is a big one for speakers, the audience's show and the speaker's show are two different shows. Can you expound on that? Yeah, I mean, this is a big, I mean, I had a life before in in the music business where I happened to be friends with people who've become major, you know, rock stars and fill arenas and stuff. And this was a band that has done very, very well. And I'm there front row and I've seen them since they got signed. So I've known them for 30 years. And I just thought the show was unbelievable. I'm literally walking backstage off, you know, like literally down the, the walkway from the arena. And, you know, they're really frustrated in different ways about things that were happening. And they sort of just thought it was an okay show. And I was like, wow, it's just, it, it was illuminating to me because there is what you're performing on stage. There's how the audience is taking it. And then there's the energy of what's happening in the room. There's sort of mm-hmm. like three different things happening at yep. once. And when I speak, I find it's very similar. I'll be doing my speech, but at the same time, I'm thinking like, where can I go with this? Like, what can I change up? And on top of that, there's another voice that's sort of 
thinking about the dynamics like is it too hot in here or how much time do i have like there's sort of three it's a very multi-skit personality schizophrenic type of experience when you're on stage and what i think happens to speakers a lot and i posted it because it's a thing where you come off stage and you're like god that just didn't just didn't feel right like it just didn't work and you'll beat yourself up for it and the answer is Yes, yeah, sometimes it just doesn't work. The content might have flown yesterday and it did fly in that room just for some reason. There was something in the room. There's something. And the point of it was it's very easy to look back and think it was something you did or something the audience did or how the room was set up. And often it's just not. It's just the way things go. The more specific example of this, which I know you've experienced because I have too, is Sometimes you get up on stage and man, the words are just like, everything's gelled. It's just new words are coming out of your mouth that sound so intelligent. And even you're saying, wow, where'd that come from? And then the next day, it's like you struggle with the word the. Right. You don't, why? Nothing changed. You feel as good as confident. Like it's just this sort of weird, that's the human factor going back to coffee. It's just the human factor of what we do for a living. So I thought it was illuminating because, you know, very few of us get to be in front of 20,000 people and to see that kind of energy and that explosive applause and to still get off stage and feel like that wasn't good. Right. I don't think we gave them their money's worth. I just thought it was a good way for us to always think about sometimes it really isn't us at all. And the audience had an amazing experience, even if we were sick or not doing well, or just felt like it didn't go well, even if it did. Yeah. So you touched on a couple of things there. there. There are a lot of factors that go into it beyond just you. You can do the exact same presentation, the exact same talk in one venue and then do the exact same thing in a different venue. And it just, it does, one works really well and one doesn't. And it's things that are outside of your control. So to that point, again, how do you kind of mentally balance? Like, was it me or was it the audience or next was it gig. the environment? Next gig. The past just move on the to the past. next thing. <laughs> Yeah, unless you are, unless you're getting consistent feedback or individual feedback from the event or the bureau that, hey, you know what's happening? I think it's you just move on and you just, you know, you did what you did. Look, how many times do you, Ron Tite says it best. He's like, look, on any given day, I'm speaking at a Marriott to a bunch of middle managers. None of them know who I am. And actually, if I'm being honest, before I got the gig, I never had heard of them or their association. Right. And so, you know, ultimately, if you go in there and the room is dead, there's nobody there. There's three people there. You just do your best. All you, and if you leave that room going, look, I did my best. It just didn't land. You still did your best. Right. And I think that there's a lot of merit in that. So that's how I balance it, which is I can say, wow, the words weren't flowing the way they did. But ultimately, okay, so it was an eight on 10. That's still pretty amazing. Right. It reminds me uh, a few years ago, I was speaking at a, a freshman orientation at a, a big university and, and uh, was doing basically three presentations that day in the same room and they were just cycling students through. And it was just a, like a 45, 60 minute presentation or something. And there's a student that was interested in speaking that was kind of chaperoning me around. And so I told him ahead of time, I said, watch this. I'm going to do the exact same talk three times today in this exact same room. And it's going to be three totally different presentations. Because the room's the same, the talk's the same, but the time of day, the energy level, 
how full it is, like all of these different variables and factors. And by the end, he was like, you're exactly right. Like it was three different presentations, same talk, same room, same type of audience, but three totally different presentations based on all these factors that I had nothing to do with. I see, I see it all the time. I mean, the other thing that I've been doing a lot lately because I have more time is I'll sort of, if I'm on at noon, I'll go for the morning keynote. I think it just gives you a good vibe of the room and the people in this. And look, I do a lot of corporate events and more often than not, CEO, pretty boring, bringing a subject matter expert, you know, not so great. And normally you would sit there mortified like, oh my God, I've got a high hill to hump here. And I got to tell you lately, my reaction has really been like, oh, I'm going to do great. <laughs> you know, And not, not to be insulting to the other speakers, but it's like right. you just know that like, wow, my format, the way I do my images, the way I tell my stories, how I move, even if I'm crawling because I have 105 yeah. fever and laryngitis, I'm going to be just fine. Right. And not that the bar is low to speak. It's just that, again, depending on your environment and what you do, that's how it is. I, I've done a lot of events in the past where the, it's these full-day leadership events where people are buying a ticket to go and see a Bill Clinton, a Tony Robbins, a Dr. Phil, and I'm one of five speakers that day. Different environment. That's where you're like the whole room is just hot, and bought, you know, ready to go, and you have to really be like I feel as a business content professional speaker, I'm working a lot harder because my content yeah. is motivating. I just don't think it's motivational, you know. Yeah, there's a big. I've always said there's a big difference between uh, an audience that wants to be there and an audience that has to be there. Oh, and man, those that want to be there, I bought a ticket. I chose to be here. I want to be here. I'm excited. I'm on the edge of my seat. Those are amazing audiences versus my boss made me come. I don't want to be here. So wrap it up as soon as, soon as possible, speaker boy. Uh, yeah, no, it's just and, two and different I, environments. Yeah. And listen, I, you know, these corporate gigs, I, you know, they happen on the weekend. They blow my mind. I'm yeah. like, there is nobody who wants to be there. <laughs> you can't tell me there's one person who goes to their industry's trade event or their corporate event on a Saturday yeah. that wants to be there. I just, I, I mean, and again, I'm an entrepreneur. I love what I do, but even like for me to go somewhere for my, just, wow, it's, re, it's a lot of effort. So I'm with you a million percent. That is the sort of hardest psychological thing for new speakers to really understand. It's not about them. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with, you know, them being this coffee in this environment. You want to do your best. You want to be motivated. You want to be your best. You want them to be inspired and to be educated and to have a new story to tell. But ultimately, we are very interchangeable. (laughs) Nobody goes, I can't believe they didn't have Starbucks. and They didn't have, you know, no one does that. They just go, they had coffee and you got to hope it's good. That's it. (laughs) Mitch, thanks for the time, man. I always enjoy chatting with you and catching up, talking shop. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go? Sure. So MitchJoel.com is all things speaking. And if you go to sixpixels.com, it's all things content, but they're all interconnected. So it doesn't matter. We'll send them to all the places. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right, man. All right. There you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mitch. Go check out all of his stuff. Again, like I said, great guy, great speaker, a better human being off stage. So uh, again, go check out his work, go support him and what he is up to. Hey, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you haven't already, don't forget to pick up your copy of The Successful Speaker. You can do that by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash book, thespeakerlab.com slash book. You can get all the information about it, download a free chapter there, check it out. It is the guide that you need to find and book paid speaking gigs. So again, the book is The Successful Speaker out in bookstores now. 
go pick it up, my friends. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. We are up to episode, what is this, 270-something. And I uh, really, really, really genuinely appreciate you going on this journey with us. Hope it's helping. Hopefully, it's making a difference for you. And uh, hopefully, you're able to continue to share your message with the world. All right? Hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll talk soon, my friend. You're awesome.